Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Today. And away we go. It's Fantasy Sports Today right here. On the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, that's F-N-T-S-Y. Dan Strafford and Mike Blewett with you for the next three hours. We'll be taking you next uh, through those three hours for the rest of the year. George Kurtz will be back with you later on this morning. Mike, how the hell are you doing, bud? I'm doing all right, man. I'm excited to work with you. Obviously, a new pairing here. I've worked Saturday mornings uh, many, many times in the past, and I know you've been holding it down this entire NFL season with George. So I'm looking forward to it, and what better way to kick it off than to get into the Super Bowl a little bit. I think so, and uh, we have plenty to cover. We're going to talk about the Pats Road in the AFC East. It's much talked about from uh, someone like me, Pats haters in the world, but uh, statistics will back up some of the argument here this morning. Uh, The Chiefs and Saints, what's next for them? The Senior Bowl, we'll talk to Emery Hunt about some of the prospects down there in Alabama. The mess that was the Cleveland Browns, and yes, I say was, as in past tense. Things are looking up there for Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, and so much more to get to this morning. you know, Mike, you found this Field Yates tweet, this statistical breakdown yeah. uh, of uh, the Pats Road. And listen, it's it's uh, results oriented, right? So it's it's looking at what actually happened for the Pats each and every year in the AFC East and then the AFC as a whole. But it looks like their road ain't so easy. Uh, it looks like they've played some pretty good teams over the years and have done their part to make their way in the playoffs. Uh, what what do you make of this? What do you make of the stats he shared? And, and how do you think it really tells the story? Well, I think a lot of people suggest that this the Patriots are getting an easy path every year because they're in the AFC East. And I actually do agree with that to a small extent. But the reality is when you break down the numbers – the Pats' record outside of the AFC East is just as dominant as it is inside the conference. Right. Now, this is since the start of the 2001 season, which you mark as the really the beginning of the Brady-Belichick uh, era. Granted, Bledsoe was starting at the beginning of the 2001 season, but nonetheless, versus the AFC East in these last 18 years, they have a 782 winning percentage. Just uh, uh, really unbelievable, 86-24. and 24. Versus everyone else, though, they hold a 753 winning percentage, 134 and 44, and that's the best winning percentage in the NFL against uh, teams outside of the AFC East. So they have 25 more non-division wins than any other team. So that's the first baseline. I'll let you comment on it because uh, we're we're building an argument here. So right. clearly, uh, while the AFC East would allow them a, a little bit of a pass, they've been the most dominant team outside of teams that are not in the AFC East. It's the story we've, we've spoken about many times here on this network about Tom Brady, about the Patriots and winning begets hating, right? So you're, you're going to have no matter what uh, a team that wins regularly, you know, see the Chicago Bulls of the nineties, uh, see the um, Golden State Warriors currently uh, see the Yankees of the early two thousands. There starts to be holes in, in, in the dam a little bit on their fan protection of them. And I think we see that with this Pat's hate and saying, Oh, it's the AFC East. It's been terrible. And you look at the Jets and the Dolphins and the Bills, and they've all been terrible franchises. But the numbers bear out here, Mike, and we'll continue to see that they do, that the Pats are just a good football team and the best football franchise probably in the history of the sport. Yeah, and credit again to Field Yates for compiling some of these numbers at Field Yates on Twitter. So versus teams that won their division that season. So this is teams that won the division in the season that they played them. The Pats are 24-14. and They're mm-hmm. the only team with a winning record against division winners. Stands to reason people would struggle against division winners. These teams are coming in first place and making the playoffs. Not the Pats. Ten games over 500. The next one, 
versus teams that made the playoffs that season. This is since 2001. They are 60 and 33, so it says 645 winning percentage. The next best winning percentage against playoff teams is my team, the Steelers, and that's at 480. So they're not even 500 against playoff teams, and the Pats are 27 games over 500 against playoff teams. So that's another one. The last one that he dropped here, I believe, yeah, the last one that he dropped, uh, versus teams that finished with a winning record that season, they are 75 and 45, ironically a drop uh, in uh, the the percentage from the playoff teams, but teams that finish with a winning record, they are 625, 30 games over 500. The next best winning percentage against teams with a winning record is the Steelers at 440. Uh, the Steelers are an interesting case because I've said, I've long said, and this occurs, this has occurred, I think under Tomlin and Cower, they tend to play down to some bad opponents. It right. really is, yep. it really is reared its ugly head this season with Tomlin. It's been a problem for a while. They play down to competition, but they they play fairly well against good teams. You know, we saw them. They should have beaten the Saints uh, late in the season. They beat the Patriots and lost to the Bron- a bad Broncos team and the Raiders, who were, you know, outside of that game, you would probably call them the worst team in football. You know, they they would have finished tied with the Cardinals if not for that fluky win against the Steelers. So it builds an argument now. I'll, I'll counter it for this one reason. Sure. Because the AFC East is so easy and nobody's put up a fight in 10 years, it is allowing them mm-hmm. to get buys. That's really the long and the short of it for me. It's not that I am trying sure. to cast aspersions on the Patriots, but a, a win here and a win here and a team that doesn't put up a fight there. It's allowing them to play less playoff games. That is the advantage that they have. I think that's spot on, and and you're you're right with that one win or those two wins against you know the the Jets or the Dolphins can make a world of difference for resting them, and more specifically for them getting to the Super Bowl. Um, I think what's intriguing, and maybe me just trying to justify my biases against the Patriots, is not only that, but you have Belichick. Who's a genius? And I, I've said that many times over. I like to cast some aspersions at Tom Brady as being a system quarterback, but that's just to get under Pat's uh, fans' uh, skin. Um, the fact of the matter is they're great, and I, I will say that up front here. But this AFC East being terrible, and obviously this is a large sample, 17 years, uh, 18 years, it's gigantic, and and if we were to take specific years inside, the Pats probably wouldn't be first, right? There's you know a, a, probably a three or four year span where uh, the Steelers might be or, or another team in this run, the, the Seahawks perhaps. Um, but uh, what I will say is the AFC East being so bad allows Belichick to dial it down. It allows Belichick to game plan properly for saving some of his players and win a game 27 to 3 because he knows they're just that much better than the team he's playing against. That's me making a big leap, and I admit that. But I do think that he is that good. And I've come to that point where I think he is an absolute genius in how he game plans each and every week. And well, if that's he knows, why he's the best. Right. That's why he's and, the best. And, and he does he it. He does and game plan accordingly. It's so amazing, Mike. Like it, it blows my mind. One, it, they talk about the NFL being a copycat league. No one's copied him. Like no, no one's been able to figure out exactly what he does week over week. He changes his defensive game plan every week. He really does. Like, yeah, they play a base, whatever, and fine. I, I agree. But each week you see different formations, different setups, different coverage. Uh, they decide who to take out of the game. You saw against the, the Chiefs, and we'll talk a little bit about the Chiefs in the next segment and what you know they can do going forward to maybe make the next step. But you watch highlights from it, and they just blanketed Tyreek Hill. They took him out of the game. They took him out. Like They just completely said, hey, he's not beating us. He's yeah. not beating us. And yeah. that's what Belichick's genius is. And I think the AFC East does allow for a little bit of a throttle back, a little bit of a downshift that they're allowed, they're able to sort of stay healthy against these teams, stay you know in tune, stay in pace, but not have to go all out to win these games, which allows them to rest a little bit more and keep their players a little bit uh, healthier. With that said, that's completely anecdotal. These numbers bear out that the Patriots are just a damn good football franchise. Like, and they they are not to be tampered with. They are not <laughs> tampered, probably the wrong word, but. Uh, they're not to be messed with. They're not to be uh, questioned at this point. We have to give them the respect that they deserve. Yeah, and I would say that he is the best because they are 
the best franchise by a mile when it Mm -hmm. comes to situational football. And you've heard many players talk about how they are specifically drilled on situational football. I think McDaniels has uh, clearly taken that to another level as well. Uh, And I think when he does get another head coaching job, I think that'll be a strength of his that maybe he didn't previously possess. Um, Famously, the Malcolm Butler interception in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks was a result of them having practiced against that formation many times. And it didn't work. The defense didn't work all week. And then when it came to the final play of the Super Bowl, effectively, they were ready for it and they jammed the play. And and the, the fact that it was an interception was... Uh, you know, a little bit of luck. Who would expect him to catch that? But they blew up the play because they knew it was coming. Uh, right. And I would also say that I think this season, I I would probably declare it when they win next Sunday. Oh, don't do that. Win. Don't do <laughs> so, that. I don't want them to win. I just think they're going to win. Plus, I have a futures uh, bet on You're the right. Pats at, at, four, <laughs> at plus 400. So, anyway. For you. Uh, yeah. So, I just – it would be his best coaching job because of – look, the defense, I think, is better this year than it was last year. I know people try to Agreed. hammer it, but it's the same concept it's always been. It's a bend-don't-break mentality and still forcing people into field goals as opposed to touchdowns because they know that on the whole, when you're – look, the NFL game games are won in the margins, and you're right. trying to get – an extra two yards of field position, and you're trying to force field goals instead of touchdowns, and you're trying to get off the field on third down. Those are really the things when you dive into it. It's not like, oh, they led the league in rushing. Like, all right, how were they on third down? Not that great. Right, so they probably missed the playoffs. I could probably tell you that without even knowing who the team is. You could probably do it blindly uh, based on that. How was their uh, interception to touchdown ratio? It was terrible. Well, they probably are out of the playoffs too. You know what I mean? Like little stats like that can give you a clearer picture. So, But what I would say is this year might be his finest coaching job for this reason. They have adapted their offense midseason due to loss of personnel or declining personnel in terms of Gronk being able to dominate Uh, the game from a receiving standpoint and they specifically in my eyes were adjusting to how they could beat the Chiefs and I said this to Dane Martinez like six weeks ago and I've been on this bandwagon and I've picked the Pats to make the Super Bowl since that point Uh, and the definitive game was when they ran over Buffalo for about 237 yards I could tell that they were adapting and when the Chiefs are the worst rushing defense in the entire league and it was a collision course with the Pats I wasn't at all surprised at what happened last week. There was crazy stuff that went on in that game, particularly the fourth quarter. And, yeah, they got some breaks. But they take advantage of the breaks. I'm a Yankees fan. In the late 90s, when they were ripping off World Series, they got breaks all the time. But you know what? They took advantage of them. They beat you every time. And that's what the Pats do. You cannot give them an inch. The Falcons gave them an inch. The Chiefs gave them an inch. By the way, last week... Uh, how many offensive plays do you think the Pats ran? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I will say 51. 94 offensive plays. It's the most, <laughs> it's oh the most plays that any team ran this entire year. So they oh, knew. Right. They had that one drive how, of like 15. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. That was the opening yep. drive. Yep, in the, that's right. To start the game in Kansas City, Pat Mahomes froze his ass off on the sidelines for the first nine minutes of the game. And real time, that was probably 20 minutes. So, you know, they deferred the the coin flip, by the way, the Chiefs. Yep. It's, the Andy Reid decision-making thing is unbelievable because he actually started the game by giving the ball to Brady. And for you to not know that they are going to run the ball down your throat is crazy. It's uh, a pretty impressive run by the Pats and one that uh, we probably, well, I'll say, I'll be definitive here, we'll never see again, uh, especially in the National Football League. Um, We saw the Braves in the 90s uh, do, what was it, 10 straight division, or nine nine or 10 straight divisional titles. Uh, I, too, am a Yankee fan, so we watched the Yankee dynasty in the late uh, 90s into the early 2000s. But the the age of sports and free agency and and changes uh, are definitely upon us. It's just been that Belichick and Brady. That's that constant there. Uh, And uh, the 
talent evaluation, the ability to move on from a player uh, before other franchises might not give out bad contracts. Uh, they've really done an amazing job. And we have maybe one more game here in this dynasty. I, I, Brady will be back. Belichick will be back. But probably if they win, you probably lose Rob Gronkowski. I think Gronkowski is done. I so. think he's going to retire, go act or you know do lots him. of crazy commercials absolutely uh the guys uh put his his uh well he'll definitely do that we know that much from him uh there is a a ton to talk about still today we want to touch on uh what's next for the chiefs uh and the saints there's uh some crazy litigation going on by uh some citizens of new orleans we'll also talk yeah oh it it, uh, well when you can i think when you as a uh, representative uh, of the u.s government can take time on the floor of congress and talk about a football game. You got to do it. You got to do it. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, We'll talk about the Cleveland Browns and uh, what was a a crazy set of two years. Uh, A great story over on ESPN.com. We'll take a look at uh, some uh, Super Bowl prop bets and more, and we'll talk to Emery Hunt uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, F-Ball Game Plan. So football game plan over there on Twitter. We'll talk to him about Senior Bowl and Draft prospects lots to get to here in the first two hours then the third hour of course will be great as well back with more after this fantasy sports day dan strafford mike blewett back after this did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning fantasy sports radio network listen on the iheart radio app the TuneIn radio app or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Here on Fantasy Sports Today, Dan Trapper, Mike Blewett, Sean Engel behind the glass on the ones and twos, getting us in and out of every break with style. We appreciate that. All right, Mike, we've talked Pats, which are the clear winners of championship weekend. They get to take on the LA Rams. I agree with you. Uh, this seems like a foregone Pats win, and uh, I hope it's not. Uh, I am a Jets fan of... Uh, Way too many years, and now living, as I've told you, just outside of Boston, uh, my life uh, is not an easy one dealing with all thank, these Patriots thank God. fans. Like, I, I moved out of Boston, so I lived in, in Boston time. all throughout the 90s. I, I was there eight years, so basically I moved there in 91. I, I left early 2000. So they had made the Super Bowl, uh, the Bledsoe Super Bowl against uh, Favre when they lost, um, and that was actually... I, this is unbelievable to say, but I actually rooted for the Pats that day. and It was kind of a fun sure. feeling. Parcells was the coach, and uh, I, I really liked Bledsoe, and I was happy for him to make the Super Bowl. And that is when the bandwagon started up. Like, the engine yep. got started on the bandwagon was then. And then the cascade came a few years later. Uh, and obviously, everybody in all six states in New England is a huge, you know, been a lifelong fan now. That's what they'll tell you. But uh, the reality is that's when it started. And I remember rooting for them then. It was, uh, you know, they were, you know, they were kind of a, a beat up franchise at that point. They of had course. made the 86 Super Bowl, but miraculously, and then got annihilated. Um, they got, you know, they had a couple of upsets on the way to that 86 Super Bowl against the Bears, who probably wouldn't have been beaten by anybody. But, um, and then they were really bad. They were terrible right after that uh, through the early 90s. And then Bledsoe was the number one overall pick, and they were right. still terrible. I went to games then, and there was, stadium wasn't full. It was Foxborough Stadium then. Um, stadium wasn't full, and, um, you know, it was cold, gray, you know, like Foxborough. I, I think right. not everybody has a full picture of what Foxborough, Massachusetts is about. And, yeah, it's the home of the Patriots. But and they, every time you watch a Monday night football game, 
they'll show you the Boston skyline, and you know it's like they're playing in downtown Boston, except that it's forty minutes away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just one of those uh, funny kind of things. But the reality is, I miss the whole bandwagon and and the Sox winning. So being a Yankees fan up there was glorious, and now right. oh, uh, thankfully. Uh, I haven't had to see them rack up all the titles, although I'm obviously friends with hundreds and hundreds of people that are fans of those teams. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded uh, each and every day about the winning. Oh, yeah. That is for sure. Yeah. Uh, they they do it a lot up in this part of the country and uh, have to tip the cap as much as it hurts me. Uh, I do want to turn the page a little bit. Uh, we'll talk uh, more about the Super Bowl in the next hour. We'll look at some of the crazy prop bets that are out there and some that apply directly to the game, give you a sense of where Mike and I are looking, what fun we think we can have with certain bets and uh, how maybe you can make some games out of uh, your Super Bowl viewing party uh, that could make for some fun, but want to take a look at the two losers last weekend, which was the Kansas City Chiefs and the New Orleans Saints here uh, made mention of the, the Saints and the class action lawsuits and the Roger Goodell handling of the what was clearly pass interference, and we'll get to that momentarily. Want to touch on the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, the hiring of Steve Spagnola. I don't know that he solves their ills. Uh, Spagnola was a great defense coordinator for the Giants, but also has been the coordinator for some of the worst defenses in NFL history. Is it a wrong assessment here, Mike, or from your 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 viewpoint that Spagnola is a, a talent coach? When talent is there, he can do it. He's not somebody who's going to coach guys up, and that scares me with this Chiefs defense. I know there's some pieces that are good, but this is a defense that was really bad this year, and I don't know if he's the answer. So what's interesting is that they led the league in sacks. They tied the Steelers for the league lead in sacks, but sacks don't always tell a story. Now, they did a good job of pressuring the quarterback, but this is also um, – it ties into game flow, and the the Chiefs were obviously putting up the most points in the league, and they were putting it on people in a big way. So it's easy to rush the quarterback when you have two touchdown leads and when you know you're going to be putting up 33 points in a game. You can be a little bit more fast right. and loose with your pass rush. When you need a stop, though, like they needed it last week, they couldn't get it. They just couldn't get the stop. Um, and I know if Chris Jones isn't offside, that that's crazy, but Bob Sutton's coaching in the Super Bowl, and they may have won, and they may have still fired him because it was a problem. It is the single biggest problem on the team, and it caused them to not make the Super Bowl. The fact that they couldn't stop the run. So a change needed to be made. I think when it comes to coaching decisions like this, analysts like myself and yours and you and fans have very specific ideas on how it's going to work out, and yep. I think we don't know anything. I think there's so many internal and external factors that go into it. I think Spagnuolo's got a really good track record. He's he's sort of uh, he's popular in New York from his stints here uh, with the Giants. Uh, but I think the change needed to be made, and Spagnuolo's got a ton of experience, and I think he's a guy that should work out. I, I'm sure he and Andy Reid have known each other a really long time. They coached in the same division forever together. So I think uh, look. Uh, Spagnola wasn't successful as a head coach, but I, I think he's a longtime coordinator that could have success there. They're going to need to change some things. Uh, D. Ford is a free agent; they got to re-sign him. Um, Eric Berry isn't the Eric Berry of the past, so they need to keep addressing it in the draft, and they have to figure out how to stop the run. That's it. And uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Spagnola actually started his coaching career with Andy Reid in Philadelphia, so they go, go uh, fairly uh, way back. Let's see, after almost 20 years working. Mostly in college, uh, he did land in 1999, his first coaching gig in Philadelphia. So the same year that Andy Reid took over as head coach. Uh, spent eight seasons working under Reid. So there is a familiarity here. And I agree with you, and it's spot on. None of us uh, like to admit that we know nothing. <laughs> but when it comes to the inner workings of these franchises, uh, we can cite statistics. We can look at uh, what is happening uh, with the specific uh, skill set of players. But offseason in the NFL is Pretty wide open, typically lots of movement. So you're probably going to see some changes in the personnel there and also some changes in the way they go about their business. And I think the big thing for the Chiefs is the mentality of the Patriots is Ben, don't break. You give up points. You're going to give up points when your offense is scoring as much as they do. They're, the other team's going to get the ball a lot. It just has to be about limiting the damage and limiting it enough 
that you can win the the important games. They won a ton this year. Uh, the defense wasn't really looked at too much because Mahomes was doing crazy things. Uh, but in the biggest spot, they couldn't get it done. So uh, going to have to find that one stop. I think the Pats absolutely knew that they were going to be able to do what they wanted to do on offense last Agreed. week. Uh, I think uh, e- even I think their defense is at a point where they're they are somewhat limited. They they're not a great defense. I think it's probably even known by somebody like Belichick that this isn't our best defense. Even if it's a little better than last year, it isn't our best defense. So we're really going to have to do what we can to help them, which was keep Mahomes off the field. And, you know, they did 94 plays. The Chiefs defense was exhausted. That's basically what happened. And for Reed to not call a timeout in overtime is another issue. But yep. I, I think it was going the wrong way for them the second they lost the coin flip anyway. Yeah, once the coin flip uh, went against them, it seemed uh, pretty inevitable that uh, the Pats would be taking that game. Issue. It is, and one to be discussed uh, at length uh, at a separate time. On the other side, uh, in the NFC, and I make the joke, and uh, it is a bit of a farce to me what is happening from New Orleans. Uh, Listen, you made the point before, and I think it's spot on, that the NFL is one in the margins. It's one, those small details, um, but it's one on every play, right? Games in the NFL are one on every single play. And to point to one singular play as how the outcome came to be uh, is, is a fool's errand. It, it's, it's really not the way to go about analyzing the game. You can point to a play. It's the same, you know, in baseball. The ninth inning, this happened. Well, what happened to the, you know, 10 runners left on base like that. That could have been an influence too. you could have been up seven runs instead of two. Uh, here is the same, you know, plays in the first and second half, uh, first and second quarter, things that could have gone a different way, could have won the game for the Saints. They just didn't execute on offense. With that said, in recent memory, I can't think of a, a, a call that was so missed. Like I, 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 off the top of my head, I cannot think of one. So those two things can be uh, existing at the same time. Overall, what do you make of the fan reaction, the politician reaction, and then we'll talk about what the Saints can do uh, on the field and what they should be doing this offseason to try to make one more run with Drew Brees under center? I think you know class action lawsuits and politicians are completely self-serving, so mm-hmm. you could say that's for the good of the people, but you're trying to get your name in a press release. So uh, I, you know I, I can I cast that aside pretty easily. Uh, I'm with you. I, I can't remember. Look, there's a lot of bad calls throughout the history right. of the NFL, but one that really specifically swung a team into the Super Bowl versus one that wouldn't, the game's over. And Rams fans will say, well, what about the golf face mask? You're right. They miss that. That stuff gets uh, missed yep. all the time. Yep. For such for, for a penalty that gets called with such frequency in, in with light contact as pass interference, for it to be the target of the pass to receive a helmet-to-helmet hit and the D-back admitting I was beat, that was all I was trying to do, the D-back made the right play because right. it probably was a touchdown. Uh, so I can't blame him for doing that. But for that to not be called, I waited. I was listening to Ryan Rossillo yesterday, and he and I had the same reaction. Usually when a play like that happens, I just kind of roll my eyes and I wait for a beat or two beats or three beats until we figure out, you know what happened? Like if Roby Coleman had turned his head and picked it off uh, after he made contact or something like that, I would have been like, "Well, this one's just coming back." But to wait one beat, two beat, three beats, and no flag, I was stunned. And um, here, here's the problem with it, which led to the, the most important part of the discussion of the play, which is going to be expanded replay. Right. Belichick's in favor of it, and Sean Payton's in favor of it, and now Sean Payton has been installed on the competition committee. He was before that play. It's not a reaction to it. So um, I worry that much like what happened with the catch rule, instant <laughs> replay will end up being something that it was not intended to be in the first place. When we installed instant replay, or when, excuse me, when the league installed instant replay, it was in order to improve calls. Look, way back in the early 90s, they had replay and then got rid of it and then realized, wait a second, we need it back because we're missing key calls, especially like on out-of-bounds plays. Like That's the stuff that are no-brainers, right? It Was he in-bounds yep. or out-of-bounds? That's the no-brainer stuff, and that's really that's probably where all this got started. But the reality is I don't know 
if it's going to be a net gain if we expand instant replay into marking those flags. But I'm open to it. I just don't know that it's going to be the slam dunk net gain uh, if we open it up to it. Does that make sense? Agreed. Yeah, I think completely. And I think it's a situation where you have to make the decision on what do you want these officials to be doing on the field? Or, or do you want everything called over time via instant replay, via the idea that they can double check on what the call was? Um, it slows down the game. Right. They, they slow down the game. But it, it really needs to get to a point where every, maybe every play is reviewed. And it's reviewed within you know 10 seconds, and then they start the play clock. I don't know. That would add a ton That's of time. That's how college onto, goes. Yeah, yeah college exactly. Basically, they're reviewing every play. They miss a ton, obviously, because there's teams out there running – up tempo and you can't you know it's it's hard to stop the official to make the official stop at the line of scrimmage on every play the games would be four and a half hours by the way some of them are are college but um so i do think it's difficult i'm absolutely open to it but but i think it would be difficult and i would just add one more thing to the officiating component of it the officials blew that call they absolutely deserve blame in that instance but on the whole the sport itself is so overregulated yep. that I do not blame the referees. I blame the, the league for it. Uh, they've created a mess for themselves with the catch rule, uh, which actually was much better this year because it just sort of went back to common sense. But in general, I don't blame the officials. I think they have too tough a job. We're doing stuff like, which obviously got reversed, but slowing down the catches to... Uh, a millisecond to yeah. see if a blade of grass moved under somebody's hand, but we have officials just eyeballing spots. Yeah. Well, it's that's, the most egregious thing in the whole sport. The, We're just the eyeball, eyeball the where we think the yep. ball is and not Absolutely. use any technology at all. I, I, I actually uh, talked to uh, our uh, fearless leader, uh, Mike Cardano, over Twitter about that. Like The fact that we still have referees running down the sideline for punts out of bounds and guessing where the ball crossed the plane on a yeah. perpendicular path and then spotting it is absolutely absurd. It's absolutely, can't you can't tell me uh, I've been in that there's a sensor in the, in the ball. Put Exactly. Right. right. Just put a chip in there. And and you can at the same time tell us if it's properly inflated. I mean, come They've, on. what It's a win-win. Right. <laughs> That's right. They have 48 footballs in play for every game. If one gets broken and the chip doesn't work, toss it out. Right. Let's get a new one. We'll repair it after the game. It's a ne- it's a sunk cost. We have uh, some breaking news here about these New Orleans cases. Uh, uh, Daniel Wallach, who's a, a lawyer who focuses on uh, gambling and and uh, DFS and and uh, sports, just tweeted out that uh, the lawyer and uh, sorry the judge assigned to one of these class action lawsuits has recused himself because. He is a New Orleans Saints season ticket holder. So uh, he has removed himself from the case. Uh, That's Judge Barry W. Ash will no longer be assigned because he's a season ticket holder. Is now assigned to Judge Susie Morgan. So uh, a Saints season ticket holder recusing himself from the case uh, to allow for impartiality in the case uh, discussion. Hopefully she's not a Rams fan. (laughs) Exactly right. Uh, But nonetheless, what do the Saints do in your viewpoint, is this just reload and come back? The defense played very well this season. You have Drew Brees. You probably need a number two receiver. They tried to go out and find that in, in the free agency during the season. Injuries caused them not to really have much input there. Is it a yeah. wide receiver two and reload and go? Um, I think that is a way that they will go. I'll be completely frank in saying that as much as I love Drew Brees, I saw a lot in the playoffs and mm-hmm. at the end of the season that lead me to believe that it is hard for him to get it done at the end of the year now. They should have blown the Eagles out, and they didn't because he wasn't sharp. He missed yep. long throws on a couple of occasions, uh, and it kept the Eagles into the in the game late. And if Alshon Jeffrey doesn't drop that pass, like the Eagles could have beaten them. So uh, I just think that as great as he is, there has there has been evidence in recent seasons that at the end of the year those numbers aren't as sharp, and it it's problematic for him. So I you know I just don't know if he's going to push in his age forty one season. Is he going to push them to the brink of the Super Bowl yet again? I I don't know. They are they were the best team in my estimation. The Rams were right there, 
and it's should, nobody should be stunned that the Rams won. It's just the manner in which it happened. But if Breeze was sharper, the Saints probably make the Super Bowl. Look, they threw in it. The irony is the, the coin flip argument. People are saying, ah, it's crap that Mahomes didn't get the ball. Yep. Well, Breeze got the ball at home, and he threw a pick, and they lost. Plenty still to get to here on Fantasy Sports Today. We're coming back on the other side of this break, talking about the Cleveland Browns, a great story over on ESPN.com. We'll discuss back with more after this on Fantasy Sports Today. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. The DailyRoto.com partnership with Data Golf is back for 2019 with all new premium fantasy golf and betting tools. Check out the all new lineup optimizer with custom settings and advanced grouping, customizable projections for FanDuel and DraftKings. Ownership projections, PGA finish probabilities and simulator, outright and top 20 market betting tools, head-to-head and three-ball betting tools, PGA pro tip, subscriber chat, and more. Go to dailyroto.com, click on Go Premium, choose Golf, and enter promo code GOLF19, that's GOLF19, for a 10% discount. That's dailyroto.com, click on Go Premium, click on Golf, and enter promo code GOLF19 for a 10% discount. We turn the page from those teams that just missed out on the Super Bowl to a team and franchise that has been long the laughingstock of the National Football League. Now, Mike, uh, a story over on ESPN.com that has gotten a a lot of uh, due praise uh, from uh, a whole uh, swath of of analysts and fans and the like. Seth Wickersham, uh, ESPN's senior writer, uh, did a very extensive deep dive into what has been a crazy franchise over the past two years or so. I'm I'm proud to say when the season started, I thought next year the the Browns could be a legitimate playoff team. They proved me right after firing uh, Hugh Jackson that they are on an upward trajectory. But this this article, Mike, it just dives into so many things where I found myself actively shaking my head, actively yeah. shaking my head yeah. while reading it. Yeah, uh, bro- projecting pornographic videos. I mean, who hasn't been there? Let's be on. Who hasn't been there at work where all of a sudden? For 20 minutes because they used a a very questionable hashtag. Um, But it's just, you know, clueless like that um, is abound. You know, you look at somebody like the Sixers, and I know people will sit here and say, well, they haven't won anything yet. And you're right. They haven't. But... Even in the midst of them uh, doing Tankapalooza and trust the process, trust the process, there is never stories, ridiculous stories like this about how people right. just don't know what they're doing. There was a plan in place. We're going to be terrible, and then we're going to reload and move on. What this is, and I think you see it a lot in sports, it, it is an example of a guy that's made. Billions of dollars. Uh, Titan of industry. In this case, Jimmy Haslam with uh, Flying Pilot J, the uh, service centers uh, that you can find in certain areas of the country. And he thinks, well, uh, it was technically not a self-made man because he took a family business and just blew it up to a different level. But uh, some other people in higher offices that have the same sort of story. But I digress. Anyway, he – so – he, I feel like, and we see this with other teams too, I've done so much doing it my way. I'm just going to run it this way because I'm such a key decision. I'm such a good decision maker on right. the whole. I'll just make some dis- snap decisions here and it'll get things into place. And it really seems obvious that Jimmy Haslam had, despite the fact that he was a minority owner with the Steelers and had a blueprint of how to run an organization, at least a firsthand sort of viewership of it, he was just making wildly mercurial and uh, what's whimsical decisions. That's the word I was searching for. So uh, that's why you saw a change in president and GM and coach so many times. 
It's uh, a crazy. Uh, I will highly recommend it. Uh, go over to ESPN.com, read it after the show is over, of course. But uh, check it Seth out. Seth Wickersham and, and t- is the uh, author of it, so it's uh, really right. incredible. He he was the one that dropped the big Pat story last year, which I'm sure That's people right. would say. I'm sure people will say, "Well, oh, how accurate was that?" I, I think it was accurate. It did. I said at the time, I think it's accurate. I think there's some tension there between Kraft, Belichick, and Brady, but I didn't think they weren't going to get to the Super Bowl. Right. Some of the just best relationships. Yeah. Some of the best relationships in any walk of life have tension. There's tension to succeed. There's tension to get things done. There's a want for ownership. And I don't mean, you know, ownership of, of uh, an actual thing, but ownership of a situation. Uh, and yeah. that can help people succeed. Depends on the personality types. In Cleveland, reading this article, and we knew a lot of this. You got drips and drabs of the crazy things that were happening behind the scenes, how bad Haslam was, how bad Hugh Jackson was. You saw what happened during the season with Baker Mayfield talking about Hugh after a couple of different games, the the interception, I forget the cornerback's name, flipping them the ball rather than trying to score a touchdown. Um, There clearly was some animosity amongst players towards uh, Hugh Jackson, uh, but also you just look back at the stories about that, that first draft where uh, Johnny Manziel was drafted and they had a, a, a trade offer uh, for uh, who is it? Hoyer, right? Brian Hoyer on the table for an early second round pick and the GM at the time said, no, 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 we, I need control of this room. And it just became that again, ownership. He, instead of seeing a good value in front of him, felt like he had to impose his will, impose who he was and show that he was. And that's that goes to the hiring. It goes to the man at the top. And Haslam has had a tough run. I'd hate to see, honestly, him justified by what Sashi did, but by getting by tanking, by getting everything right and then being fired. Um, but it seems like the Browns well, are on the, the right path. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So the 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 criminal thing for Sashi Brown and some of the people for Sashi Brown in particular, because Paul DePotesta actually still works there, so yep. uh, they didn't clean house completely. But Sashi Brown, who put together the strategy and did acquire some of the other executives, will not will get very little credit. I think those of us in the fantasy football community understand that he is uh, a key part in having obtained some of these players. And it doesn't mean you can ha- you have to be old school or you have to be new school. I think in this instance, you've seen a blend of it. John Dorsey's pretty old school, but he acquired Baker, and he's made some decisions about uh, coaching and everything uh, since he's been there, and he hasn't even been there a year. So, um, so yeah, we have... Uh, a lot of different things that have happened in this organization. The Sashi Brown thing, I think, the Haslam thing. There's two things that really stand out. Uh, I, I'm down to like the last 500 words of the article, so I'll submit that I haven't completely finished it, but I've, I've gotten all the broad strokes. There's two things. One, Ray Farmer was installed as the GM uh, several years back when he never interviewed for the job. He didn't ask for it, and he never interviewed for it. Uh, Haslam had just decided that he was at a point with Mike Lombardi and right. with Joe Banner that they couldn't get along. He asked Farmer's advice about one specific incident because they couldn't agree on a player, which both guys admit, Joe Banner and Mike Lombardi admit, they did not enjoy working with one another. And they were arguing about a certain prospect. But even they admit that that stuff happens all the time, even with great relationships. People argue about a player. You're trying to flush out the pros and the cons of a particular player. So he asked Farmer his advice on the thing, and the next thing Farmer knew, he was the GM. And then Farmer is texting people on the sidelines, and he's getting suspended for a month because of illegally illegal use of technology uh, by the team. So that's the one incident. And the other one is that on draft night, he was bringing, like, friends and family yep. into the war room to see how it worked. It's not, it's not a play. or it's not, You're not shooting a movie where people get to check out what's going on and uh, not interfere. In the war room, like, it, that's, a sac- that's a sacred environment. I get that Jerry Jones is there, and it's a big party for him, but Jerry Jones is actually a football person in that organization. I could argue that he shouldn't be, but Jerry Jones right. is a football person in Dallas, so he's allowed to be in there, and that's kind of a family deal in Dallas, too. You know, there's family members that are uh, immersed in the structure of the Cowboys organization. 
there's there, that his daughter is running i think community relations his son is the general manager so yep. it, that is a family business jimmy haslam bringing in friends and cousins and uh nieces and nephews isn't helpful it's uh it's a crazy story and i'll say that but I do want to turn the page with sort of how the, the story, and if you have a chance, enjoy the list of uh, former Browns coaches. You can Google it and find it. But it, it goes, Butch Davis, uh, Terry Rubisky was interim coach for a while, Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Pat Shermer, Rob Chudzinski in 2013, Mike Patin, uh, Hugh Jackson, Greg Williams, obviously the interim coach, and now Freddie Kitchens. That is from... 2001 through 2019, the same span we discussed at the top of the show for the New England Patriots. Yeah, that's right. So that is that is insane. And and one of those guys got a year in Chudzinski, so they brought yep. him. They brought a GM and a coach in and fired them both in a year uh, in Cleveland with the the Rob Chudzinski era. And Chudzinski, you know, some of the guys, some of the guys are on record. Chudzinski saying. You know, it, it, there was almost no chance to be successful because of the way right. things were set up. And then I think you have a guy like Mike Pettin, who hasn't gotten another chance at a job. And they weren't good, but his record overall is way better than some of the other guys that were there. Pettin did an okay job with the talent that he was given. And they just, the real, the, the when it comes down to it, Dan, you know this as well as uh, I do. If the owner is messed up, everything's, yep. nothing's going to work. It's why the Dolphins are a mess. I, and I know we don't talk about them as often as being a mess. because They made the playoffs a couple of years ago, and you know, they're just firing a coach, and they're going to give it another shot again. Well, they were the last team to hire a coach for a reason because he doesn't – Stephen Ross does not engender confidence from people that he knows how to run a franchise. I think it's a mess. Joe Ranieri, who does the Make It Rain show, now Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m., he's down there, and he's been around that organization, and he'll tell you that it's a mess. People, The owner just kind of doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know what he wants. So if they, I think a lot of guys that make big money like that just think that their decision-making is gold, and they're going to come into a league where everybody plays by the same rules. In fact, I've heard Jerry Jones say this exact quote. Business was easier because there weren't a lot of rules. When I came into the league, I had to learn that everybody was playing by the same rules, so I don't have an edge in the way that I did in the business world. And I think that's true for most of these guys. It makes total sense also the idea of this is my money. I'm going to direct how things happen rather than trusting a general manager, hiring a competent uh, you know, CEO of the company and just be – you know, the owner be, you know, be the owner and let that be is not really what we see from a lot of these NFL owners. So what, what do you see from the Browns sort of forgetting the circus that was, and it's tough to, are you on board with my you know prediction to start 2018 that this could be, and I even said they will be a playoff team in, in the next season, or do you think there's enough growing pains with kitchens, uh, with Mayfield, uh, that this franchise is probably going to take a step back before they take that step forward? Well, it is a big question to ask. I don't know if Freddie Jones, uh, Freddie Kitchens, Freddie Jones, Freddie Kitchens can be a head coach. I, I don't right. know that yet. I think I I do like the move in general as far as liking coaching moves. I think it makes sense because he obviously has a relationship with Baker. I do think it made sense to get rid of Greg Williams, even though he did a good job. I think when there is a dynamic like that, you have to be Machiavellian about it and just get mm-hmm. rid of the guy so that he's not bitter that he didn't get the head coaching job. So he moves to New York. He's fine. And then Freddie Kitchens puts together his staff, and he added some really interesting people. Todd Monk. I think it'll. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's a really interesting ad for them, and I think offensively they can continue to be really good. The reason the Browns made such an improvement this year was because of the turnover differential. Last year in 2017, they turned the ball over 41 times. They had a great improvement in their turnover differential. They were minus 27 in 2017. That's almost impossible to do. And this year they were a lot better. So I think they'll improve. Uh, I'm not going to crown them as a division winner yet because I think the Ravens uh, surprised with playing late. And the Steelers could not have gone worse, and they still were 9-6-1. and one. Do you know what I mean? That's a good There's point. still a lot of talent yep. on the Steelers. 
No, that's a very good point I mean, overall, and I think one that uh, often gets overlooked. Uh, that the Steelers, I mean, the Steelers just... hit a field goal against the Browns in Week One, or one later in the season against the Raiders. They're in the playoffs. I mean, yep. it, it is what it is, and I'm not saying ah, oh, they should have, would have, would have, could have, should have, but they were that close. Yep, and uh, and they'll be back now. Take the Antonio Brown stuff for what it is, and see where that all ends up. And obviously losing. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, but Connor did more than well this year. So the Steelers will be back. I'm intrigued by the Ravens just as a franchise and what they do with Lamar Jackson moving forward. Uh, but I'm a I'm a huge fan of of Cleveland. I even made the joke uh, beginning of this season that I may have to become a Browns fan because being a Jets fan is just miserable. Um, and take that for what it's worth. That I'd rather root for a franchise that has an article like this out there uh, than the New York Jets. But hey, the maybe Jets have a longer way to go than the Browns do, Dan. They do absolutely. Absolutely, they do. The There's tons talent. of holes. Yeah, the Browns have more talent. The offensive line's better. Um, the defense played better. Now, obviously, I think uh, changes will be made there. Greg Williams loves to play you know, safety high and, and uh, give up a lot over the middle of the field. Now, the Jets will do that. Uh, the Browns will change some strategy there. I, I'm a fan of this franchise and what they've been able to turn around. This is a tough thing to do in sports, to, to dig yourself out of the bottom. Now, obviously, the Colts uh, did it by uh, getting their quarterback back and getting a healthy uh, Andrew Luck into the fold, and they were able to go from worst uh, into the playoffs and make a, a, a dent there. And uh, I think the Browns have their quarterback. I think Mayfield is uh, somebody that... That will be uh, looked upon with great admiration in and around Cleveland and will be the kind of Bryce Harper uh, to the NFL where players and coaches and fans from other teams uh, don't agree uh, with his take on a lot of things. But I'm, I'm looking forward to this team uh, next season. I think it's going to be a fun one uh, where they can really uh, make, a, make a, a dent on what, what's happening in the NFL. Any additions you'd make to this roster? Is it a, a wide receiver uh, looking at the running game? Is it defensively? Anything from you watching this team on the season, Mike, or, or seeing them against the Steelers on the year uh, that you'd say could make a big difference in how they go about uh, game planning next year? I think they're going to continue to build through the trenches. I think, yes, they can go for a, a big wide receiver target to complement Jarvis Landry. Some of the younger guys, I think, are just um, role wide receivers. I don't, I don't think they have anybody there. Um, I, I, we have to see what um, Antonio Callaway can become. I think it's an interesting piece, but to suspect to expect him to become a number one wide receiver, I think, is a lot of expectations, especially because he lacks some maturity right now. So I think they can continue to build in the trenches, defensive line, um, which they've added a bunch of pieces in recent years, and offensive line to help improve that running game with Nick Chubb and uh, Duke Johnson, I, I think will be interesting. I, I, I think they have a lot of really good pieces there. They drafted Denzel Ward. They've got Jabril Peppers. Miles Garrett, there's a lot of pieces there. So if you told me what their number one need is, I'd go offensive line, D tackle, maybe a maybe a uh, a linebacker, but really offensive line for me for the Browns would help to improve this offense and make them even better long term. Coming back with more on Fantasy Sports Day, Dan Strafford, Mike Blewett talking Super Bowl prop bets after this.